Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So for today, I really want to talk about a topic that there's so much biblical evidence for but can be so challenging to unpack. Um, Because when you talk about it, it just kind of makes you feel like you're not doing enough. And I don't want this message to be received that way. Like, I'm not doing enough. I I need to, like, strive to do better. And so I'm just going to tell you right now that if you're receiving it that way, don't do that. (laughs) Um. So what I want to talk about today is being all in for Jesus, being all in, fully in, which is essentially the definition of a disciple of Christ is somebody that's that's all in. And um, and so I want to talk about how we're called to give literally everything to Jesus, all of our life, all of our money, everything that we have is 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 his and we're to give to him. And we can do that because he first loved us, because he gave all of himself to us. And so when that reality hits home, it becomes so much easier to freely give because you freely receive. And so that's where I'm going today. Um, And before I get in there, I just want to ask this question. Like, you know, there's moments that we have in life when we encounter significant people, all right? So there's moments you encounter somebody, and you kind of recognize in that moment that this is a significant person in my life. And so right now, just like let conjure that up. Like think of a, a moment when you encountered somebody, you're like, ah, I knew, like that's a significant person for me. And so for an example I have is actually um, took place here years ago, and I, the first time I ever came to this church, it was in a small, um, you know, apartment, sort of large, small apartment, essentially, in like a third floor um, room. And so I was there that night, first time I've ever been there. And, um, and I was at the front because everywhere was the front when you were in that place. <laughs> you, you go in and you're in the front, like it's small. And so I was at the front, and even though it was the first time, and they're like, pray for your neighbor, like, pray for your neighbor. I was like, all right. So who looks safe around here? I don't know anybody here. Oh, this guy looks pretty safe. And so I prayed with this guy at J-Hop back, you know, 10 years ago, and I felt the significance of that prayer in that moment. I was like, whoa, who is this guy? Like, what is he doing? Like, I jive with this guy. I connect with this guy. He knows the Lord, and what he's saying connects with the way I'm encountering the Lord. And so I said, hey, man, what's, what's your name? He said, my name's Jordan Dennett. <laughs> so many of you know Jordan. He was up here on the stage singing. And, uh, and I just felt immediately a heart connect with him. And he said, you know, I'm doing this father's heart thing tomorrow. Do you want to come? And I was living in New Jersey. I'm thinking, that's pretty far to come back here from New Jersey. But I was like, yeah, I got, I got father wounds. Sure, I'll come. Let's do it. You know? <laughs> and so everybody has father wounds, by the way. You get the best dad in the world. You, you still have you know, stuff you got to work through. But um, so anyway, I came back the next day. He was doing a father heart conference. And it was it just immediately our hearts were, were knit together 
And here over a decade later, we're still good friends. And of course, he's a part of this house and as am I. So there's these people, when you meet them, it's like you just know there's something deeper there. And so I want to talk about how Jesus first met the disciples, right? So I'm putting Jordan in a very high mark because he's like Jesus in my story. <laughs> but get it. You, you get it. It's times a million. But think about when they encountered Christ and the significance of that moment, how they knew this, this man is, is going to change everything. This is a relationship that's going to change my whole world. So um, I'm just going to look at a few very brief instances of when Jesus encountered the disciples. First one starting in Matthew 21, um, or Matthew 4, verse 21 through 22. This is when he encountered James and John. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. He called them, and they followed him. Here's, here's uh, when Jesus encountered Matthew. Jesus went there, went on there from a road. He saw a man named Matthew. This is Matthew 9, 9, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Fishers, they go. Tax collector, he goes. Now I'm going to go to Philip. This is uh, John 1, verse 43 and 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. Now let's go to Peter and Andrew. It's Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. Six men, similar storylines, Jesus calls them. He says, follow me. They leave everything. No matter what they were doing, family, jobs, they left it all. This is the standard. This is the word of God, and this is how he called his disciples. See, I believe we were all, every one of us, we were made to live a life where we're all in. There's something in us that desires that sort of abandon to one thing. And you and I know that one thing is Jesus, but many people do not know that. But that same inclination, that desire to be abandoned, fully submitted to one thing, is in each and every person, I believe. We're drawn to this storyline. Even think about the Olympics that just happened. We love the stories of people that overcame, they were successful, they won the race, they won whatever they were in, 
And how do they do it? They always say, I, I gave my life to this. And look, look, it was worth it. And that's the stories that we hear. That's the stories that are told. Why do they tell those stories? Why do we love those stories? Because we were made to be all in. We love to see somebody give everything and then receive what they've given. We love it. There's something in us that loves it. You think about, I used to watch, when I was a kid, I would watch, um, I guess because I was bored, I'd watch poker like on, on ESPN, you know? I was like, man, I'm bored. Let's watch these poker matches. And like the best part of a poker match is when somebody goes all in. Like it really like, you know, it gets your attention and you're like, whoa, like they pushed every chip into the middle and now they're either going to lose everything or they're going to get everything. And so we love those moments and it draws us in. And I mean, that's the best part of poker. I mean, people get addicted to it, so that's not good. But <laughs> like he's saying to do poker. I'm not saying that, but it's a good analogy for what I'm talking about here. So we're all looking, I believe, for something worth giving our lives to. And if we don't have Jesus, we'll give our lives fully to something else. Whether it's a job, whether it's your family even, whether it's your politics, whether it's your, even your ministry. You give your life to something, but you're not made to give your life to ministry even. You're made to give your life to Jesus to be all in for him. That's the only thing that'll satisfy. So I want to look at how Jesus, what he calls his disciples to. A little more specific. We see how he's calling them to follow him. What does that mean? So I'm going to uh, turn to Matthew 16, starting at verse 24. And here's the call. Here's what it means to be a disciple, to be all in. Matthew, 20, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm going to read from similar explanation. Luke 14, verses 25 through 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me, does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. These are heavy truths. Even the word choice in both of these, take up your cross. Well, we all know now that that's to lay your life down. I mean, Jesus was about to do that. He hadn't yet. But he's saying, take up your cross, follow me, lose your life. But then you'll gain it. Then you'll... Something will happen in you when you do this. But if you don't do this, you're not my disciple. It's intense. It's heavy. See, with most things, moderation 
is really wise. Most things in life, you want to be, you want to have a level of moderation. You don't want to be too extreme, too all in. But with Jesus, moderation is foolish. Moderation is not wise. He asks everything of us because he gives us everything. And so he's the one thing in life that we're not called to be moderate about. We're called to be extreme and radical and fully devoted. And I love how he chooses the word, follow me. Follow me. Not do these things for me. Follow me. He doesn't ask us to do stuff for him. He asks us to do the things he already did. It's very different. <laughs> That's real leadership, you know. He says, come and do this, not to perform for me, but because I've modeled it, I've shown you, and I've done it for you. So go do it for others. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and the word choice is really important. Follow me. You know, Jesus laid down everything to come to this world. He, and he laid down his own will, and he followed the will of the Father. So how much more so does he have authority to tell us to do the same? Because he did it for us. But I would say, being all in is a big distinction. Being all in does not mean perfection. Not at all. Being all in is about devotion, not perfection. Very big distinction. You see, because of Jesus, we don't have to pursue or achieve perfection. But he asks us to pursue wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when I married my wife, I forged a covenant with her under God, and I said, I'm going to be wholeheartedly devoted to you. Richard for poor, sickness and in health. I'm in. I'm in. How many of you know that I am not a perfect husband, and even this morning I displayed my imperfections? <laughs> it's hard to get five kids. How many kids do I have? Three kids, five total, <laughs> to church in the middle of a bike marathon. Um, but I'm devoted, although I'm not perfect. I'm devoted to her in full. In the moments when I, when I mess up, when I'm not perfect, I have to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to remain devoted, even in my weakness. Help me to stay devoted to my wife and fulfill our covenant together. You know, Mike, Mike Bickle has this really interesting quote that I, I heard him say. He was talking about the heaviness of the verses in Luke 14, which I just read to you. The cost of discipleship, that those type of verses, laying your life down. Heavy, strong verses, right? But Mike says, we, gotta, we have to hold the reality of those verses. Like, we can't throw those out. We can't just skip over them because they're uncomfortable. But we have to hold that along with the reality of the next chapter, and that's Luke 15. What is Luke 15? Luke 15 is about the tender heart of God. It's all the parables about the lost, the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, 
how Jesus goes after the one and leaves the 99, how Jesus runs to embrace the prodigal son. And I mean, he's not going to the prodigal son saying like, like, my gosh, like you didn't lay your life down. Why didn't you turn? Why didn't you turn back and rejecting him? He doesn't reject him. He embraces him. So God calls us to this level of devotion, but he knows we'll fall short. And we have to keep in mind the tender heart of God. We have to keep that in mind. Or else when we hear the call that feels so intense and we think, oh, I don't measure up, we'll push away from the Lord instead of doing what he wants to come near to him and be strengthened by him and be encouraged by him to devote our lives to him afresh, anew. Some of you today are going to feel that call. You're going to say, God, I feel like I, I haven't been devoted to you like I want, but I know I have full access to you because of Jesus, and I know your tender heart, so I will come to you and not run from you. So we have to hold these things together. And I really believe that being all in for Jesus is not about doing more things. Effort is important, but it's not effort that really is the thing tripping us up. We're in New York. We're driven people. We're all about effort. Like, let's get stuff done. It's not the effort. That's not the solution here. See, I believe the solution is actually revelation. It's actually to get revelation of who Jesus really is of what he's really done and who he says you are. If you get those things, you'll do what the disciples did. You'll lay everything down because you'll see that fiery love in his eyes. And that's what happened to me. <laughs> when I saw the fiery love of Jesus, I couldn't live the same. But how many of you know I need to see it again and again and again and again? Take up your cross daily. For me, it means see the fiery love in Jesus' eyes daily, and you will take up your cross because you know that you're fully known and fully loved, and there's nothing you won't do for a man like that. Nothing. There's nothing you won't withhold. And not only that, God puts in us this really important thing. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's actually God himself in us. So you're called to be all in, to follow God. But then all that you need for life and godliness is found in Christ, in the Holy Spirit placed inside of you. You're empowered with the grace to choose him and be all in for him. It's a really important component to this all-in message. I can be all-in because the Spirit of God in me is crying out, Abba, Father, and is leading me to see him rightly. And in that place, I will respond by his grace to him and give my life to him daily. It's such an important reality because it's not about our efforts. It's not about trying harder to be all-in for Jesus. It doesn't work that way, and it's not going to work. I've tried it, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work. But I believe that if we are not all in for Jesus, we will not be satisfied in this life.
I really believe it. I think there's people right now that are struggling because they're not all in. And if you're not all in, you're not going to be satisfied. You won't. We aren't satisfied because we aren't wholeheartedly devoted. That's why we're not satisfied. And we're not wholeheartedly devoted because we haven't, we haven't been captivated by Jesus. And we're not captivated by Jesus because we haven't experienced his love. See, it all goes back to that. I'll say it again. We aren't satisfied because we aren't devoted. We're not devoted because we're not captivated. And we're not captivated because we're not in love. So what's it look like to be all in? What does that even look like? I'm going to give four pictures that I have of what I think it looks like to be all in so that we can know, like, what's going on in us? How do I, how do I, how do I position, reposition my heart to be all in for Jesus? Four ways. First one, those who are all in will follow Jesus into a storm. This would have preached great last week. Those who are all in will follow Jesus into the storm. So if you haven't caught my drift, I'm talking about Matthew 8, calming of the storm. But if you look at the context of Matthew 8, starts the storylines in verse 23. Right before that, Jesus is, is being approached by these men who are saying, I want to follow you. And Jesus kind of like turns them off to following him by reminding them how foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head by reminding them of the cost. So he kind of turns them off, and then it goes into this story here. So I believe this story is actually an analogy for following Jesus because that's the context of this chapter in this verse. So we're gonna, I want you to read, I'm going to read it. I want you to see it through that lens, all right? Matthew 8, 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Key word. Followed him onto the boat. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves slept over, swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves, they obey him. It's a powerful story. It's an analogy for following Jesus. Y'all ever heard of that song? It's an old song. It's like 10 years old. Chris Tomlin. And um, how does it go? Um, I can't remember how it goes. I was singing it like all week. It's like, oh, I know, I know it goes. Where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. What you pray, I'll pray. I will follow you. I'm, I'll keep going, you know. <laughs> you know, that song was real popular years ago. And like, you think of that song, and I, so I got this funny picture, right? Like, put that song in this, in this Bible story, all right? You got Chris Tomlin and his band, 
and they're on the boat with Jesus, and they're like singing that song, where you go, I'll go. And they're all like having fun, you know, and they're riding out in the Sea of Galilee. And then all of a sudden, like the storm clouds come rolling up. Where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. And, and like you see like the look on their face. They're like not so poppy and like fun anymore. This is getting serious. And then you see like the drummers like drumming Jesus. Like, <laughs> could you wake up please? And then, you know, maybe the bass guitarist jumps off of the boat, you know? Like he seemed a little already like not fully in for Jesus. So maybe he jumps off there. But... You get my, the idea is like we sing these songs and we say these things, but like when you follow Jesus, you're going to be headed towards a storm. And like those poppy songs are going to be really hard to sing when you're really in it. But you should sing that song, actually. I'm all for that song. I love Chris. Um, So if you're listening to this, Chris, come, come and worship here. I'm not putting you down. Um, But, um, but my point is, like, we, we don't necessarily, that song doesn't give you the gist of what you're really signing up for when you follow him. It, you're really signing up for a life that's hard, a persecution, and, uh, and challenges. And so I think we, we get so used to, in, like, Western culture, like, talking about, it, it's like a me-centered gospel. It, it, it's like a get Jesus, because we want to sell you Jesus, like, you need him, and you do, but we, we just talk a lot about what he's going to give you, and how great it's all going to be, and then you get them hooked in, oh, great, now they go to church, and they give a life to Jesus, but then they realize they're on a boat headed towards a storm, and they're like, I didn't sign up for this, and so people get disillusioned, because they received a gospel that was about them, and they didn't realize the gospel was about them, yes, and Jesus giving his life for them, but it was about them laying down their life, them going into storms, going into hard, challenging moments, but them being connected to the one who can rebuke the storm. It's not that you're not going to hit a storm. It's just that he can rebuke it. But if he doesn't rebuke it, you know, well, there's purpose in this storm because he could rebuke it if he wanted to. And so it's just a very different way of approaching a life that's following Jesus. And it's one we have to get more used to. And in this season, we are. Let me tell you, in this season, a lot of us are being matured in this reality. And some people aren't, but you know, I really, I haven't given up hope on them. And neither should you. If they're not in this room or they're not in a church or they're not connected, I'm telling you, this is the moment where they realize they have to be all in for Jesus. And even if they haven't been, they may find themselves doing that really soon because everything else is going to be exposed as what it is false, empty, with no purpose, with no value. And we got a generation that wants purpose and they don't realize that the only purpose that they were made for is Jesus. He's the only thing they can give all to. They want to give everything to social movements. They want to give everything to help the world become a better place. Give everything to Jesus. There's people that are going to be listening to this right now from Gen Z, and I'm telling you, you have to give everything to Jesus. You have to. Like, he will compel you, and I want you to see the fiery love of Jesus' eyes, and you will give it all down. The things you're suicidal about, the things that you don't want to live for anymore, you don't have to live for those things. You can live for purpose and worth, and it's in Jesus. So I'm really preaching to somebody on YouTube and maybe somebody in this room, but I feel it. I really feel He's the thing. He's what we need. And he will lead you into a storm, and it's going to be okay because he can rebuke it. All right. Um, so my first, first point, those who are all in will follow Jesus into the storm. All right. Glad I got that one over. So second one, those who are all in will swim upstream. 
Those who are all in will swim upstream. So I did some fishing this summer. I was up in Pennsylvania and uh, caught a few fish. The what I you all know that salmon swim upstream. Most people know that, but you probably, maybe you don't know why. So salmon swim upstream. And why they do that is because they're going to actually reproduce. They're going to spawn so that, they, so that their children can be born and, you know, the, the whole world can continue of salmon life. So they're going, they're, they're literally pursuing the place where they were born. So they will, they will be able to determine. It's kind of crazy. They have this genetic thing where they're out in the ocean doing their thing. But then it's like, oh, it's time to spawn. And they, like, go and they'll find the stream, the actual stream that they were born in. So how do they do that? I was like, oh, tell me how they do this. Um, they, they actually, there's like, they smell. They, there's like a, when they're born, they can remember the smell of the stream that they were born in. And so if they go up another stream, they, like the smell will diminish, right? Like, oh, no, no, not this one. And then they go up another one. Like, oh, yeah, this is familiar. So, but because of that smell, right, because that they're driven by that natural instinct, they will push through, they'll go not only will they go upstream, they will, they will jump over any waterfall, anything in their path to get to that place so they can re, be recreated so that they can procreate and the species can continue. And so they were relentless. They're not just going upstream. They're relentless in their pursuit. And, and they're following a smell. Isn't that wild? A smell. I thought it was just such a great analogy because in, this, in my analogy, the world the culture, rather, it, the culture is that stream, right, that is, that is coming, that current is coming against the, the inclinations of the Holy Spirit. So we're, 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 we're trying to reach the Lord, and we're trying to understand what he's saying, and the Spirit is, like, drawing us up this stream to, like, to, to I mean, the salmon come and die. It's what they do. But we're, we're being called by the Spirit to do things, and the point is the currents of the culture are coming the other direction. They're coming right at you. So if you want to swim upstream, you have to be connected to the Holy Spirit. You have to be, there has to be a desire in you to go upstream. Why would you go upstream? It's harder. It's more challenging. But there's a passion. There's a desire. There's a leading of the Spirit of God that will cause you to swim upstream. So that's my analogy, and I'm sticking to it. But the challenge that we have is to discern what's the leading of the Holy Spirit to ensure that we're going upstream and we're not getting taken by the current. And see, the Spirit will lead you in places that aren't comfortable. It's not comfortable to swim upstream. It's not easy to swim upstream. But we, so, so much, we can just get, we just want the comfort. We just... Just, ah, I'm not going to swim too far upstream. Like, it's just, I'm wearing out, man. There's a waterfall. I can't get over that. But when the Spirit is leading, you will, you will be drawn with passion upstream. And that's actually how you know you're alive. That's how you know you're living, is when you're swimming upstream against the culture. And some, don't get me wrong, like, don't just think just because you're warring against the culture, you're swimming upstream. Sorry, but that's like... Some people, like, they look, they, they rail so hard against the culture, but the love of Jesus is void in their life. So I would say, you, you're, maybe you're like, you might be, de- you might be, I would propose you might be dipping into legalism. You might be trying to do the things that you read in the Bible, and maybe from a good place, 
but you're not really being drawn by the spirit. And so you're coming against the culture hard, but there's no love in your heart. And I, and you will wear out like you will not make it like, I don't know, not make it. That's a bad way of putting it, but it will wear you out. Like, so I don't mean that in a terrible way. Um, so, but what determines, it's not life-giving. Thank you, Bill. What determines your convictions? Like, what makes you want to swim up? Is it the spirit or is it something else? Because I think our convictions can be driven by all of the wrong things sometimes. Is it the law? Like, does your morality, and based on, like, the literal law of the, of the country, is that what drives your convictions? Is it your job? Is it to keep and, and, and do your Does that drive your convictions? Is it protection, security for your family? Does that drive your convictions? Is it your, is it your politics, you, the things that you want to see? Does that drive your convictions? Um, is it your friends? Is it your, your friendship circles that you want to preserve and protect? Does that drive your convictions? If all those things drive your convictions, you're not going to swim upstream. You're not and you'll know something's off. And if you know something's off, you need to come to Jesus and re-sign up. I'm not here to freak you out. I'm here to say, hey, every day, I'll figure out something's off in my own heart, and I'll say, God, I got to go to you. I want to be all in for you again today. You know, Mike, Mike Bickle, I want to quote Mike Bickle again. He had this great quote. He said, salvation is free, Discipleship is costly, but non-discipleship is even more costly. And that's, that's being taken away by the current, non-discipleship, not following the Holy Spirit. He said, living by fear, depression, self-consumed, and eternally stuck and trapped. That's what non-discipleship will get you. I went, um, I was telling you, I went fishing when I was, um, this summer and my kids, they would catch these, uh, these little fish. But if you're fishing with kids, it can be really hard because, you know, a, they're like really tiny and they have little tiny rods. Um, (laughs) and B, because like, they're not well versed in how to catch a fish. So like they throw it out there and like the fish takes it in the box takes the thing and they're like what's going on you know and they're trying to so I'm trying to help teach them but if you don't set the hook on a fish and they take your your bait they eat that thing like it goes down into them and you can't get it out without killing them so so I had a few of these uh, situations where like they're like look at this great fish I caught and I'm like wow awesome it's gonna die I don't know how to fix this and I'm trying to like get the you know get the hook out without killing the fish and I kind of know that it's not going to make it. So I'm like trying to like, they're like, oh, let, let's put it back. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to put it back over here, like, and watch it swim away. And, uh, but every now and then you make the mistake if you put the fish like upstream. And so I'm trying to get it to swim away. Then they see it like, wait, that's the fish I just caught floating down the river. And it's like, oh, he, he'll be all right. You know, just. He, he's going to pick it up once he hits that turn over there. I'm sure he'll swim out to the ocean. Um, and so you sort of lie a little bit to um, make him feel better. But, but the point is, the only things that aren't swimming upstream, the things that are floating down with the current, are the things that are dead. They're the dead things. 
And so if you're looking around your life and you're seeing places where the culture is carrying you, like that's a dead place in your life. And you need to let the Lord prune that thing. Like don't just like think, oh, I just can't handle it or I'm just a wuss or I just, I don't love Jesus enough. Bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, like I'm having a hard time. The fear of man is like destroying me in this area. Would you prune this? Would you help me to be all in for you? Because dead things will float down the river, but living things, they have enough fight in them. They have enough passion and vision that they will swim against the current. All right, so how do you know you're all in? Number one, those who are all in will follow Jesus into the storm. Number two, those who are all in will swim upstream. Number three, those who are all in will be fishers of men and women. Those who are all in will be fishers of men and women. So God called Peter and Andrew to follow him, and he directed them, and he said, you're no longer, this profession's changing. I'm now gonna make you a fisher of men. That's what's going on. And so in the same moment he called them to follow them, he, he redefined their role, and he, he gave them a vision for what they were gonna do now. I think when I met Jesus, when I personally met him, I was 18 years old, and the Lord encountered me, and I knew I had to give my life to him because it was just so intense, and his, and his gospel became so real to me. But then he gave me a vision to reach high school kids, of which I had just come out of, and he, he put that in my heart. And that was pure gold for me. Like that, without that, I don't know if I would have been able to grow in the Lord the way I did because he gave me a vision to go fish for others. And, and so I feel, I feel for some of us in this season particularly, God wants to give you a vision to reach a certain people. Like, and there's, there's people here that will, only, will reach people that nobody else can reach. So each one of you, you have influence and places of authority. You can reach people with your own testimony, your story, that nobody in this room could reach. Nobody. I really believe that. And, I, and, I, and what, so what it did in me was it, it wasn't like I was like really disciplined to like stop, you know, you meet Jesus. I'm going to stop doing the bad things. I'm going to do the good things. Like, it, like that mentality, you're not going anywhere fast. Like you're really not. But if when you meet Jesus and all of a sudden you want to give your life to him and then he gives you a people to reach, all of a sudden you have this vision that's way bigger than what you're doing before. And you don't even desire to go back into that old stuff. You don't even thinking about it because I was caught up in God's heart for, for high school kids. Like I was consumed with that and it wasn't a bad thing. It was like, it was like I'm giving myself to the things of the Lord and nothing else mattered. And so I think that's so key. And, and if you've never experienced that, get ready. Because there's a big harvest coming, and, and God's going to put specific people on your heart, and even groups of people. Maybe it's young people. Maybe it's old people. Maybe it's people that live in a certain neighborhood or a certain industry. Like, whatever those people are, it's so important that we listen to what the Lord is doing in us because he wants to disciple us through it. And it'll actually, that's how we can encounter his love. Like, we'll encounter it in our quiet time with him, but we'll encounter it when we're giving his love to somebody else. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my gosh, he really does love me because look what he's speaking through me to this person right here in front of me. It will disciple and transform your life so quick. And, and in this city, God's going to, in prayer, right, we're a house of prayer. In prayer, he'll start to unpack these things in your life. So 
not uh, this is years ago. I was I was living in Queens. I still live there. I was in prayer one night, and the Lord started putting this like project near my house on my heart. I just kept thinking about it. I was like, "What is this? Why is this on my heart?" And I felt the Lord tell me there is a woman praying for this place, and you need to go partner with her. You need to go down to that place and just start walking around it. I want you to engage with me and engage with what this woman is doing and go. And, and so I did that. I was faithful to that, and, and I just went there, and that's what I did. I just prayed around this, these projects and talked to people, loved on people, and let me tell you, I never met that woman. I never saw like I never saw a revival bomb go off in the in the project. That'd have been great, you know. I don't know why I'm calling it a revival bomb, but anyway, you get the idea. I never saw a revival hit, but I I was faithful to what the Lord was stirring in me. And and so maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But the point is, He wants your heart, like He wants. And when you engage with His heart, it broke my heart. It still marks me today even though I never even saw the things I wanted to see, but I knew that it was him stirring, it was him drawing, and it was his love I got to partner with over that place. So he'll do that in you. And, and he will break your heart for the things that breaks his. He will break our hearts, but are we willing? Like, are we gonna, are we gonna, let, him, are we gonna let him in? Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Like, the beatitudes, like these things... You get there by following the Spirit, by being all into the Lord. That's how you get there. All right, last point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close up. So, um, here's my four points for what does what does all in look like? Those who are all in will follow Jesus into the storm. Those who are all in will swim upstream. Those who are all in will be fishers of men. Those who are all in will not look back. Will not look back. You know that song. Tammy and Bill got me into it. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I don't even know that's how it goes. That's just how they sing it. <laughs> I never heard the original, but I'll take it. Um, oh, they had the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. Um, Luke 9, starting at, um, well, just, it starts at verse 51, but I'm just going to skip down. But Luke 9, 51 says, as the time approached, for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely set out. What does that mean? Some verses say he set his face to Jerusalem. He knew that, that he was going to die there, that he was called to lay down his life, and he did not look back. He set his face. He said, I'm going to fulfill the will of the Father. And, you know, you've got Peter saying, do this. Somebody else saying that he's, like, rebuking everything else because he knew the Lord had called him. That was the will of God. And he would fulfill it. He didn't look back. He set his face. So he calls his disciples just a few verses later. I'm going to read 57 through 62 to follow him, to do likewise. Verse 57 says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow looks back and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Once again, these are, these are heavy verses, but I, I would propose to you, Jesus is not insensitive. 
He's not. Read all of the Bible. Read all the New Testament. And don't take this verse and say, ah, he's just being insensitive. Like, God can't even go see his family. God can't go bury his dead dad. Like, what is wrong with Jesus? those, Those details trip us up. But what he's really after is the idea of full devotion. And he, Jesus sees the hearts of people. You see, like, the rich young ruler comes to him. Jesus sees this man is not ready to follow him because he won't give up his own wealth. He sees in, these, in the parts of these people that they're not willing. They're not willing to pay the cost. And so he calls them. He tells them what they're signing up for in love. And there's an urgency about it. And probably they didn't follow him. And there is some nuance, too, in, like, we he talks about the dead burying the dead. And, like, like literally, like, in that time, it's not like that guy's father had actually passed. Like, he probably was still alive, and it was like an excuse almost. Like, well, he's going to die. And I, so it could have been months or – so there's – I've heard this, you know, said about the verse that, like, during that time, it's not like our time where it's like, oh, they're dead, and it's going to be like a week, and now you can go follow him. They were making excuses, and Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You have to give everything if you're going to run with me in the long haul. It's a loving thing that he's saying, not – an insensitive, you know, like power trip. That, that's not what's going on here. So we have to remember the tender heart of God as we're reading these scriptures, and it doesn't, it doesn't trip us up. Um, but there's a sense of urgency of what he's saying, and, and I feel for each one of us, he's, there is a sense of urgency right now to follow him, to not look back. And part of that not looking back is even not looking back on your past and maybe how you haven't followed him. And part of that not looking back is... is letting go of your, your past failures, like not even in God, but just in life, you know? And like, no, I'm not looking back. I'm not, that's not going to be my future. Like I'm following Jesus. I'm a new, I have a, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm full of hope. And so we, to, looking back is going to keep you from moving forward and following Christ. It's going to keep you from it. And I want to encourage you in this, the call to action, the call to action to follow Jesus, that doesn't mean you need to, like, be more in church or, like, start a ministry. I feel too long. We're like, give it all to Jesus, follow him. But then the next line is, like, like some ministry thing. And that is the case for some. But to say that's what Jesus is saying, I think, is, is, is incorrect. Like, to follow Jesus isn't to start a ministry or, like, become, you know, like be a missionary in Africa, like it is if that's the will of God for your life. To follow Jesus is to obey him. It's to obey what he's saying to you. And so I think when we just throw blanket statements like go follow him and we're like, all right, who wants to like, who wants to like go to like the Middle East right now? And people are like, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe you don't have a grace for that. Maybe that's not what he's calling you to, say, to do. But it's like, but the, the, the thing is like, what is the will of God for your life? And I want to encourage you to seek that out. If you're going to follow him, you need to know what he's calling you to and be faithful to it. We don't want to make these broad statements that make us think we're following Jesus when really we're just doing whatever. We're just kind of going with the stream still, honestly. You're going with the stream because we want to feel like we're doing the right thing. But what's he calling you to do? What's he calling you to do? Some of you are called to the marketplace. You're called to be here in the city and minister to your colleagues. And that is called following Jesus. That's called laying your life down. You're like, oh, but I'm making good money and I'm, I'm not poor. It's like, 
No, like you need to respond to what he's called you to do. That's what he's after. And it could look different for different people. Worship team, could you guys come on up? You know, God can handle our weakness and our shortcomings. He really can. <laughs> he can he's handled mine quite a bit. So going back to the life of the disciples, I want if you look at Peter's life, right? I mentioned Peter earlier, how he was called. He said you're gonna go fish for men, him and his brother Andrew. But how many of you know this man who was called to, to be the, the leader of the church, of God's, God's church, he had to be called a second time to follow Jesus. He had to be called twice to follow him. I hope that gives you comfort and encouragement. This is the guy that Jesus chose to lead his church, called twice to follow Jesus. So I'm not going to read it, but in John 21... It's where Jesus is restoring Peter, where Peter has, you know, denied Christ, fallen away, and he's back fishing again, back to his old ways. And Jesus restores him, and then he says, follow me. Follow me. Same word, different context. And then he prophesies over Peter how he's going to die. Follow me. Not only you're going to, and he's almost saying, you are going to follow me. You are going to take up your cross, literally. You're going to be crucified like me. I just think that's a, such a beautiful picture for each and every one of us. He's saying today, follow me. And you, I see you will lay down your life for me. I believe in what I've done in you is real and pure. And you are devoted. Though you're not perfect, you're devoted. And you'll follow me to the end. See, the call to follow Jesus really is to come and die. It's intense, and that's why we don't want to talk about it enough. It really is. I'm going to read to you how each of these six men who we started off talking about, how they ended their life. Peter was killed by Emperor Nero. He was crucified upside down, just like the prophetic word that Jesus gave him. Andrew was crucified in the Greek city of Patras, was also bound on a cross. Philip was martyred in the Greek city of Hierapolis. Matthew was also martyred. I'm not sure the details, but he was. James was put to death by the sword. You can find that in Acts 12. And John, well, John's the one guy lived the whole time. <laughs> Lord, let me be like John. I have a heart for you. Me lean into your heart and not die by a sword. Had to put that one at the end, take the load off there. But my point is, when Jesus said, follow me, he meant it. He meant it. And the convictions and the love that he released on his disciples were enough 
They swam upstream the whole way. They laid down their very lives and they lived and they were satisfied. And I believe that is how we're called to live today. And given our culture and kind of the way things are, we don't necessarily talk about these things because we're not living in this hyper-persecuted environment, but we have to be ready to lay down our lives. And I believe when we have a church in New York that lives like that, and I don't mean our church, I mean the church of New York City, people will receive Jesus in droves because they're not used to seeing people so abandoned to one thing. So sold out to Jesus, all in for him. And in this place, in this house specifically, we are called to build a house of prayer. We are called to build a place where people can be strengthened in their inner man, where they can worship freely, be built up in their faith and their love for God, experience his love, and then swim upstream everywhere they go in this city. That's what we're called to do. That's our part in this. And I don't know how things are gonna transpire, but I know that's what we're called to do. And I know we'll be strengthened and we'll strengthen the city to follow Jesus, to be all in. Everybody stand for me. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Father, we ask today, Holy Spirit, would you come and strengthen our hearts, strengthen our commitment to you. Lord, fill in the gaps, fill in the places where we're weak and broken, where we're being pushed around by the wind and the waves. Lord, I pray, Lord, right now, would you strengthen us in our inner man to follow you, to be all in for you, Jesus, to be salt and light. Yeah, I just feel like some of you, you're relating to like those verses like, well, you lost your saltiness and the Lord's like, no, I prophesy you are salt, you are light. You are salt, you are light. You're in this place today because you're ready to be salt and light. And I decree and declare that this will be a generation who will sell everything and buy the field. Will sell everything to take on the treasure this will be a generation who see the pearl of great price and lay it all down. Let's worship.